Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, just welcome to another edition of Gecko Nation Radio. And uh, happy to be here tonight. We're going to do a special show for you guys. We're going to open up the phone lines. And we've also uh, got some cool people calling in. Uh, we have uh, Marcy who's gonna, uh, from MS2 Feeders who's going to be on in a second tell us some cool news. And uh, we've got Mr. John Scarborough from Gecko Bola Raphael coming in. Uh, chatting was filling up nice. See a bunch of guests. I see Steve, Sean, Marcy, Elsa, Brooke. Um, cool, guys. Um, you know, today is uh, March 4th, 2014, and uh, something that's been on my mind all day. I'm going to put it to all you listeners out there. Uh, somebody made a post on Facebook today about, uh, basically, it was, a, it was a video. It, it was a video poem, more or less, and it was about how our culture is basically turning into a bunch of phone zombies. And you know, if you don't look at it from an outside perspective, you don't really see how our culture is becoming. And for for kids that are, you know, growing up now, they're, they're watching their parents. This is one of the key things that they brought up in the video. That they're watching their parents, you know, basically staring into their phones all day. And, you know, children learn from example and this and that, I believe, and I don't know. What are we creating, folks? What are we turning into? I think the the technology we have is amazing. I think it helps us in business. It helps us in so many ways. Um, technology would, enables us to do this radio show, for instance. Facebook helps us reach so many other like-minded people in the reptile community. But at what cost? Like, what is it ultimately going to do to us? And if you guys have a minute, go on my Facebook page, David Fine Geckos. Um, and I also think I posted it in um, a group as well. I'm not sure. If I didn't, I will. But uh, it's just an interesting video. It's, it's circulating around Facebook right now. But it really makes you think. Um, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that at some point tonight. Uh, a couple things I want to mention to everybody. Got some cool things cooking right now. Uh, for all of you Gecko Nation listeners, we have a couple great promotions going on from our sponsors. Uh, well, the one promotion that's always going from EB Dragons is 5% off your order. Uh, use the term GECKO in caps at checkout. You're going to get 5% off your Dubia, 5% off your FlexWatt. Um, and that, that's great. And thank you, Reno, for doing that for us. Also, um, Rainbow Mealworms, the biggest worm farm in the world, is hooking us up with 30% off. Until the end of May, folks, 30% off. That's crazy. Uh, Gecko Nation is the code. Check it out. I think it's good for uh, I think it's good for two orders, if I'm not mistaken. So you got the whole rest of the month to use the code. And uh, last but not least, uh, another code, uh, Gecko Nation 10, um, and that is from Reptiles Express. You're going to get 10% uh, off any order of $45 or more. All right, and you can use that twice. Okay, so. Uh, if you're shipping your animals and stuff and, you know, you want to use a break uh, in the price, their prices are already the lowest anyway. And believe me, they haven't embellished or 
you know, inflated their prices to compensate for the discount like others do. They don't do that kind of stuff, so it's all legit. All right, it's an actual real discount. So use it, guys. Take advantage. Our sponsors are awesome. But um, well, speaking of sponsors, we're going to play and hear some of them right now, and then we're going to hear the second part of them in the middle of the show. Check these guys out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to leopard gecko morph making. Known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his Leopard Gecko Care app, his Morph Encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro, and visit his site, leopardgecko.com, to see where morphs are made. GiantLeopardGecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred exceptional lines of many different morph combinations, including high-end African fat tails and crested geckos. With over 17 years of experience in herpetoculture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality, integrity, and value. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. That's right, folks. Check them out. And uh, you'll hear from the rest of our sponsors at the mid-show break. Uh, we got Marcy on the line. Marcy from MS2... Peter Chow, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, man. Can you hear, Marcy? Can you hear me well enough? Roach Chow, Roach Chow, Roach Chow. Of course. <laughs> Can hear you loud and clear. Awesome. What's going on? What's That's new with great. <laughs> well, I just wanted to pop in and say hello and uh, let everyone know that... Um, you know, I think everybody knows that we're taking a hiatus from making cow for a bit, especially since I have not been feeling well. Mm-hmm. But um, we will be uh, resuming making cow. Um, it may be in a little bit more limited capacity. My husband works up on the North Slope, as most, most of you know, um, which is about five miles south of the Arctic Ocean. And so... Um, and he's gone anywhere from two to three weeks 
at a time and sometimes only comes home for six days, four days. He's supposed to be home for two weeks at a time, but that doesn't always seem to work out that way. So, um, And he's really the muscle behind the operation. And uh, so that's been one of the more difficult challenges in my recovery from surgery. Well, we can't lose this child, Marcy. This child is very important to the community and to the feeders. It's been helping so many people. What are you planning on doing? Well, um, one of the things that we had uh, considered doing is we had considered selling the recipe. Um, and we took a long and hard look at our P&Ls after uh, the fiscal year. And, you know, we do expect to have some losses. Um, but over the past year, there's been a dramatic increase, especially in our shipping costs, to get some ingredients here. And as most mm-hmm. of you know, I will not skimp on ingredients. Um, I've said it before. Right. I'll say it again. Um, I will not skimp. I will not put... Um, a crappy ingredient in there just to save some money. And no in junk. order to get some of the higher quality ingredients, I have to pay shipping. And right. so um, sometimes my shipping is far more expensive than even the products that I order. And it's mm-hmm. dramatically gone up over the past year. And so that is something that we have to really take into consideration. Um, and with the fuel prices, uh, coming up to Alaska, I don't know if anybody's aware that, um, like our shipping costs are outrageous. Something that might cost maybe $50 to get to, uh, or less to get to someone down in the lower 48 will cost me about $200. Hmm. And, um, so the shipping uh, is just really uh, something that really is uh, difficult for us. Um, yeah. But also the food prices. And just to give an example, um, a package of hamburger that used to cost about maybe 9 or $10 is now costing $20 plus. Um, not that I put hamburger in the cow, but just to give you an idea uh, that it's being, you know, there's a widespread um uh, impact all around in our food prices up here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine that. And so I've had like, a really, really like, impressive response from the community that mm-hmm. um, uh, people have said, you know what, I don't even care if I pay more. I just would like to continue using the product. And so... Well, you know, we get used to something like that, too, and the animals get used to it, and... You know, when you use a good product like that, you don't want to switch to something less, you know, than what you're used to, you know? So, you know, I think yeah. it's... and I uh, don't necessarily want to us to stop either. Um, you know, I know we needed to take a break for my health, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, you know, especially with my husband having four or six days off, you know, I didn't want it to be, you know, the only three days that... You know, because he, he basically comes home, it takes two to three days for him to recuperate from yeah. uh, 14 days straight of 12-hour shifts, um, yep. you know, back-to-back. Back. So it takes him a couple of days to recover, and then, you know, three or four days 
of making chow and then leaving is really not any quality time. And especially right. with me not feeling well, that's been, you know, we had to put a priority on our family. Um, okay. I understand. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that we're trying to find ways that we can do this more uh, cost-effectively and m- without sacrificing the quality. And mm-hmm. so, um, as well as time, you know, time is a pretty big issue uh, for us. Um, we do everything by hand. You know, we don't just go to a mill and put everything in a gigantic mill and say, okay, you know, turn her on. Everything is done by hand. So, yeah, if you guys, uh, uh, you know, hold on one second, Marcy. Let me just we, jump in for a second. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to hear exactly everything that goes into Marcy's channel and what they actually do, one of the first episodes on Gecko Nation Radio was always devoted entirely to her and the chow. So you guys should check it out. Um, it's a really good show and gives you just a perspective of what actually goes into all of this. And, uh, you know, it's one of our, I think it's like the first that have folks. Maybe I'll put the link out there. And, Marcy, you can certainly put the link, too, in your circles so people can listen to you about it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So then, so we so will then what be are you continuing, thinking um, It's going to be in probably another couple of weeks where we will start up again very slowly. Um, I okay. definitely need to have the muscle of my family. Um, mm-hmm. I am not recovering as quickly as I would have liked post-surgery. It's pretty mm-hmm. bad um, to the point where I am um, really unsatisfied with, you know, the surgery, the outcome, my recovery. Um, but my family all believes in the challenge and what I do. Um and we're definitely trying to make ways to make this work. And I really appreciate everyone being so supportive in the community saying, you know, even if it's a substantial increase, that they'd be happy to pay it. Um, and, you know, we looked at our, our books, and it was just amazing the, the loss that we incurred. And in some ways, we don't really care because we know it's a good product, but we have to at least break even, you know. Right, um, of course. And that's something that we know – is pretty important, you know. Well, and you, go, uh, you know, you should be, you should make money off of your invention. This is a business in the end, and you know, it's, it's oh yeah. just oh yeah, you know. And I know most businesses, um, you know, most businesses do not make money their first couple of years. I mean, that's a, that's a no. pretty standard fact. You know, they yep. don't make business, they don't make a huge profit, if at all, their first couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that you stick with it. You'll pretty well bugs. You, you stick with it, yeah. and I think you'll be able to iron out all the all the bugs. And that's what that's what evolution of business is, I think, right? I and mean, that's what I'm learning. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the things that I wanted to do for tonight is to give away um, a lucky person uh, three pounds of chow. Three pounds. Oh, that's awesome. So, all right. So what, what we'll do three is pounds. we'll put that into the raffle for the callers, people who call in okay. tonight. Um, yeah, we'll add that to the raffle. I'm thinking about throwing in something cool, too. I don't know yet. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what kind of people we... So far, the call queue is filling up, so it looks good. So, you know. Yeah, I would, I would love to be uh, able to send somebody out three pounds of chow. Um, and so I look forward to uh, getting things ramped up, getting production going with my family. Um 
you know, like I said, I've had a, a tremendous amount of family support. Um, we're considering moving up north uh, to the Anchorage area. And so I actually have both my brothers that live up there. And so uh, depending on what they're doing. Um, Put them to work. And actually both my brothers are pretty ingenious. And so uh, they may be able to uh, do something. Uh, they're very both mechanically inclined. So they might be able to uh, figure out some kind of manufacturing ingenuity cool. for me to make things a little more automated um, for us. So I'm that's what you need. To you that. need like a supply. Yeah, you need like a robot in there, like a machine to do all the mixing and everything and grinding, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I basically have just been doing quality control and checking everything to make sure it's up to my standards and, of course, observing because I can't right. stand my chow being made without, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's got to be this, it's got to be that, um, uh, <laughs> even though I know everybody's doing it right, like my husband or my, you know, kids, they've all done it enough to know exactly what to do, but um, I, well, where can I'm people, so, uh, where so can people particular. get it now, Marcy? You know, where can they get it now when they, if they, if they want to purchase it? Well, um, I'm not sure if Rainbow has any at this point in time. Um, or Supreme Gecko, um, and Empire Reptiles may have some. I'm not sure uh, of, of everyone's current inventory. Everyone's been really awesome about just kind of stepping back and giving me um, the space that I needed to recuperate, and I really appreciate that, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, uh, a lot, you know, a few people have been kind of breathing down my neck, where can I get my child? And I and I do understand that. Um, but I also appreciate everyone who has just kind of stepped back and said, you know what, you know, I know she needs some time to recuperate. Um, and that's something that I just truly, truly appreciate. Yeah. Well, that's you're always going to get the support from us. You know it. Yeah, I appreciate it. But anyways, I've got to get a family dinner going, and I just I'm really glad that I got to call in and talk to you. My daughter just got back from college, so she's another person who can help me out. Awesome. Put them to work, Marcy. Thank you so much for, for the generous uh, raffle prize tonight, and why don't you give out your information so people can find you online and on Facebook and stuff. Okay. Um, it is MS2, or www.ms2ent.weebly.com, and um, I will throw it up in the chat room. Um, Cool. as well as on the Gecko Nation page. Awesome. All of my contact Thank information. You. Cool. Thank you so much, Marcy. I love you. Okay, I love you too, and much love to everybody out there. Thank you for being so awesome to me while I, was, while I have been recuperating and being supportive. Of course. You got it. All right, talk to you soon. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, folks. All right, guys. Um, before we get started, I just want to mention to everybody, if you are new to the, to the world of geckos and um, you're finding this as fascinating as all of you know, the rest of us do, you wouldn't be listening to this show right now if you didn't. You've got to check out this. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. 
Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. That's right, everybody. And also, check out our affiliate, Herpentime Radio. Herpentime Radio is just an awesome show that does a wide array of different topics. Justin and JB are great, and they're also on Blog Talk. All right, we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to go ahead and grab Mr. John Scarborough from Geckoboa Reptiles. Let's see, where are you, John? John, you are right here. John, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Dave. How's everybody doing tonight? Good, good. Thanks for uh, coming in on a pinch tonight to to do this open line segment with, with me. I think it's going to be a great show. Yeah, sure. No problem, man. What's uh, what's new uh, over in your collection? I heard you you were telling me that you hatched that or you you got some eggs for the from the Fuscus project, huh? <laughs> yeah, I got my uh, first two eggs, and uh, the same female is about to drop two more. And hopefully I'll get the second female breeding here pretty soon. But, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I mean, that's, you know, just to get that species, first of all, and then just to, you know, see the first eggs come is, is pretty awesome, you know. But um, definitely mm-hmm. definitely looking forward to hopefully 30 or 40 days from now to be hatching out some. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, for people that are just tuning in, uh, just so you know, John's also a sponsor of the show, and you guys can find him, his website at geckoboa.com. And that's like, is it geckoboa or geckoboa reptiles? It's just geckoboa. Made it simple. Geckoboa.com, that's right. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, and and also on Facebook, folks. And uh, it's just amazing stuff you're working with this season, John. I can't wait to see this year's tangerines. You're telling me about some. Why don't you hint at, at what's coming? Yeah, you and me alike, man. I'm I'm really excited to see what's gonna uh, pop out this year. And that's the that's the exciting thing of working with all these wine bread genes is you just never know kind of what's gonna come out of it, you know. And I mean, I I've, I've been surprised every year, and I mean, I doubt this year is gonna be any different, you know, if not even more than what's been in the past. So definitely, uh, mm-hmm. definitely excited. I got a couple groups that I'm I almost get nervous when I'm pairing up the males with them, you know. <laughs> it's just that feeling like wow, what's going to come of this, you know? But definitely some big things coming for sure this year. You know, with with tangerines, you're almost like, all right, well, what else can you do to a tangerine? Or, you know, how how much different can certain tangerine lines be? But, you know, you and a few other select people with breeders have really shown us that, you know, tangerines can be very diverse and very just, I don't know, like, just striking. I mean, just the thing. I mean, some of them are really bright orange. Some have the black spots. You, you have these ones with like a purplish head, and like all these different like types are coming out. I mean, I, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, t- tangerines are, have been kind of like one of those first things that I really loved about leopard geckos. Mm-hmm. I just loved or- orange geckos in general. And I mean, I, mm-hmm. I kind of took the unconventional approach, and I didn't pair things that were totally alike together. You know, I mixed bloodlines, and I mixed other things together. And it, it's actually oh, paid how off. Oh, how dare you? Know, in, yeah. <laughs> it paid off for me in the long run, you know. Maybe maybe sometimes a lot of the projects, the first round, they're not going to even cross in two different lines. They're not going to create the best-looking animals. But, 
you know, sometimes if you do it right, you can really, you know, you can turn things around and you're not going to produce the same blood that everybody else is producing, even though those are awesome. You know, for me, I just wanted something new and different. And I wanted something to, when something popped out of the incubator, I didn't want it to be exactly a clone of its parents, you know. I wanted it to be right. you know, moving to, moving somewhere new. And uh, I mean, for me, I, I, I cherish the old bloodlines, um, but at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm looking toward the future on this stuff too. So, you know, not everything worked out. You know, the tangerines that you see that are really nice on my website, those are just, you know, maybe – just a couple of the animals that actually ended up coming out really amazing looking that were the right cross or the right parent, you know, and mm-hmm, it just mm-hmm. hit the, the genetics hit correctly. And, you know, now, now, now I'm trying to refine them and, you know, you know, push those, those desired traits even farther, you know, to really make them pop. And hopefully, and hopefully I can really get them to a point where they're very distinguishable between other tangerine lines. You know, I don't really say my, my lines are different as of yet, even though I think some of them are for sure. But mm-hmm. you know, going forward, I want somebody to look at them and be like, "Well, I know where that's from," you know. But yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's, well, I think that's it's exciting. It's definitely gonna. Yeah, it's it's exciting for sure. I can't just the, every year. That's the fun part about the leopard geckos is just you know that every year you get that option to, to breed and you know the same the babies you produced the year before. Whereas the other many other species of animal or reptile in general, you don't you don't get that you know, like no boas for instance, you got to wait three or four years you know between you know maybe two years with a male, but you know females three to four years at least, and I mean it's just that you know that, that it's fun but not not the same in a way. <laughs> no, leopard geckos are huge now, but I firmly believe that they are going to be like the biggest thing in the future. They really are. Just because of everything you just mentioned. You, I, mean, I mean, you can raise a baby leopard gecko up and breed it within a year. Your projects have such a quick turnaround time. You can basically, we have any style, pattern, color you could possibly want to work with at this point. I mean, seriously, what is not to like about these animals? And their ease of care. I mean, you know, it's they're perfect. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the infancy of this stuff. I mean, most of, this, most of, most of these genetics didn't come out I mean, even, like, some of the most earliest ones were in the late 90s. So, I mean, just think about 20 years from now what it's going to be, you know. It's just, right. you know, between the late 90s and the and 2000s, it's just exploded with all the different, you know, colors and how, how, how much better things are starting to look. And, you know, mm-hmm. some of the tangerine lines and some of the, you know, even the bold stripes and bandit lines. and I mean, everything's just really getting more refined, and it's just, exciting and you know if we get if we get some new morphs along the way even better so absolutely yeah but i think there are a few that pop out that's for sure i've, I've heard some some rumblings of things coming so <laughs> yeah that's cool all right well you know what let's transition let's go ahead and grab mr barker good evening gekonians <laughs> there he is. What's up, Steve? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, not too much. Looking forward to tonight. You have a cool show tonight. Yeah. Hey, uh, John. Good with you. Hey, Steve. How's it going? How's it going? That uh, Tangelo, Tangelo Super Giant that I got from you is smoking. Cool, man. Glad, yeah. glad you like her. Yeah. Or him, actually. That was a boy. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. yeah I, I love him. 
I cool. love him. Go ahead. Yeah, he looks, for you. He was in shed when I got him, and he looked great then. <laughs> I know. Remember that? <laughs> oh, and, and he shed out, and he was just, I mean, amazing. Cool, man. Yeah, glad yeah. you like him. Yeah, thank you. Sure. All right. Good news, so, Steve, or what? Uh, I think I only have one, maybe two good stories. Okay, good. That's enough for me. All right. First good story is, judge says lawsuit over Python ban may proceed. A federal judge says a lawsuit that seeks to overturn a national ban on four giant snake species may proceed. Judge Emmett Sullivan ruled last week in Washington federal court against attorneys for Interior Secretary Sally Jewell and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service who wanted the lawsuit dismissed. The U.S. ARC sued the federal government in December. They have challenged the science behind the ban of Burmese pythons, yellow anacondas, northern and southern African rock pythons, Pythons. They also say the ban has cost reptile breeders, ha- handlers, hobbyists, and vendors tens of millions of dollars. Sullivan also ruled that the group has until May 9th to amend the original complaint without prejudice. And initially, the ban was announced in 2012. Wildlife officials say it protects native wildlife. So that's a good thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, baby steps, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. And along the same lines, <clears throat> let's see, APHIS geneticist finds new ways to track invasive pythons in the Everglades. The research arm of the APHIS Wildlife Service Program are investigating new ways to track and locate invasive Burmese pythons. We've developed a new detection method that uses environmental DNA, which is cool. This is kind of, this is really, really interesting. The use of environmental DNA, they're calling eDNA, is a fairly new technique because animals shed DNA into the environment from their skin, saliva, or other cells, the presence of these genetic fragments can often be detected. Researchers Hmm. developed... Yeah, this is pretty cool. Researchers developed a a polymerase chain reaction, PCR, method to detect Python eDNA at low concentrations in water. Tests showed Python eDNA was detectable for up to 96 hours in water. That means they can basically locate in a general area within 96 hours where a Burmese python has been. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, this method presents a promising new tool for monitoring the present presence, absence, and current distribution distribution of invasive Burmese pythons in Florida. So that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Yeah. Okay. And staying in Florida, of course, a lot of stories come out of Florida, unfortunately. Something's going on. Well, that's because they're so close to the Bermuda Triangle, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> An el- elementary school evacuation is over in Volusia County after a ball python escaped in the school. School officials say the two-foot ball python escaped at Citrus Grove Elementary after the family pet was brought in by a third-grade teacher for a reptile lesson. Officials said bringing in reptiles up to four feet is allowed by school policy. The snake, which is non-venomous and deemed not dangerous to students, is being searched for by Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission officials and has not yet been located. So I'm assuming the first lesson they learned is uh, be sure that your reptile's in a secure cage. <laughs> and I think I read this story. Did, did they all, like, evacuate and everything? Like, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Oh, my God. That's yeah, ridiculous. The, the building was evacuated so they oh. could search for it. Jeez, yep. it's so crazy. I mean, <laughs> Paranoid. Get the kids involved. I mean, it's a ball python. <laughs> I know. Jeez. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, our next story is pretty cool, uh, in one way, but bad in another. The curator of the Kansas City Zoo reported an eight-foot boa constrictor was abandoned in the Australian snake exhibit. The boa was found after multiple complaints of a snake loose in the exhibit. Zoo officials believe the boa was a pet left there in, in the hope that the zoo would take it take it in. Fortunately, the zoo does not have a boa constrictor on exhibit and will consider housing the snake after a vet examination. Hmm. So, okay. Somebody just decided to leave there. But yeah. Now, this one I really, I really like this story. And you remember the the kids, I keep bringing this up, something always brings me back to the kids with the rubber snake that stopped the the carjacker. (laughs) That's cool, yeah. In Alabama, Beauregard Parish Sheriff deputies got an unexpected assist from Mother Nature. Sheriff Ricky (laughs) Moses said Willis Paul Jones was bit by a copperhead snake Tuesday as he was trying to evade authorities in a wooded area. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. The chase ended when the copperhead found him first and bit him on the foot. Jones surrendered to authorities and was admitted into an intensive care unit at at the local hospital. Jones recovered from the bite and transported to the correctional center where he was booked on charges of burglary and theft. Jones stole two boats, two motors, a trailer, and four and a four-wheeler from several locations. <laughs> what are you talking about, Willis? Isn't that, Willis a, example of, uh, yeah. Isn't that a good example of karma, though? That is. That really is. Wow. Unbelievable. Imagine that. That's awesome. (laughs) I love it. And every once in a while. Yep. (laughs) And that brings us, I don't know if you heard that, it was my dog. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> All right, that brings us to a horrible story, and it, and the the title kind of upsets me a, li- a little because it's, this is the title: Kenner Man Jailed After Police Find Illegal Snakes Marijuana in His Apartment. Okay, so it, it upsets me because it, you know I would think that the marijuana would be listed first, but whatever. Um, Police investigating a complaint about possible drug activity at a Kenner, New Orleans apartment found more than just marijuana. Officers encountered 14 snakes, some of them venomous. The snakes were being kept as pets um, by Jesse Nuzo, the subject of the complaints. They found 21.6 grams of marijuana and drug paraphernalia, but officers also discovered the snakes scattered around the apartment in various aquariums. The list of pets include a ball python, a rat snake, speckled king snake, three western ribbon snakes, one western diamondback rattlesnake, two green water snakes, one broad banded water snake, one southern black racer, crane, cane brakes, rattlesnake, one southern copperhead snake, and one boa constrictor. Officers contacted the State Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, as well as the Kenner Humane Society for some direction on the reptiles. That's when they were made aware of city ordinance related to exotic animals that bans residents from keeping constrictors and venomous snakes. Only licensed wow. zookeepers can have the snakes. But Jeez. later in the article, it's funny that, let's see, um, one of the officers yeah, were quoted, go ahead, Steve. one of the officers were quoted, overall there is nothing unusual, strange, or exotic in the list. Yeah. I was just Isn't say, that weird? Um, yeah, <laughs> and if it happened in Colorado where John lives, you know, number one, pot is legal there. Um, and basically the guy did nothing wrong if you think about it it's just that where he lives happens to have this ordinance um, wow that's stupid well other than he, you know yeah he was caught with 21.6 grams of marijuana and drug paraphernalia well, but, okay but that's legal now in, in, in some states it's, it's right. becoming legal you know in other places so um, yeah. I don't know yeah but what, what what kills kills me in the article is that they say that there is nothing unusual, strange, or exotic in the list, but isn't a ball python and boa constrict considered exotic? I thought, but they're they're saying it's not considered exotic. So <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird. I don't know either. All right, this is an interesting story. An albino snake is plaguing the Canary Islands. An albino snake, which, you know, most most would think that that wouldn't survive. Pet snakes have led to big problems in the Canary Islands. Biologists say an albino variety of California king snake bred in captivity in San Diego is now obliterating native animal populations after some of the snakes came to the islands as pets and escaped. Free of natural predators, their population 
now numbers in the thousands per square mile, where where native species not programmed for fear of snakes have been have haven't been able to adapt in the short window since the snakes started causing issues, which is since 2007. They've they've known about this. Experts okay. from the U. Yeah, experts from the U.S. are headed to the island, which is northwest of Africa, to help scientists and government officials figure out a game plan. So far, dogs and hawks have been set on the snakes with little effect. The species spends much of its time underground. They have caught fewer than 2,000 snakes. And one expert offers this unpleasant thought. The fact that they're removing hundreds of visible snakes means, unfortunately, that it is likely that there are many, many thousands more out there. <laughs> and they're all albino? That's what this is saying. They're albino. <laughs> all That's right. great. What, that what island was it? The Canary Islands. Hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Albinos. <laughs> and I, I, it, 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 it's funny that... Um, now, I don't know if they're just releasing hawks and dogs. You notice that in the article, the hawks and dogs? Now, are they just yeah, releasing yeah. them? Or because wouldn't that create more issues? Because then the hawks, are, especially hawks, are going to, you know, they're going to pick off a lot of birds. They'll eat up everything else. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what that's what I was thinking. Jeez, yeah, that's strange. Uh, I don't know. And the best story of the night, I think, and our last story. Keepers at the Melbourne Zoo in Australia have, for the first time, managed to hatch and raise a species of frog listed internationally as critically endangered. The Baba frog, a tiny amphibian which lives a subterranean lifestyle, <clears throat> raising young frogs from egg to froglet stage is a major step for scientists as they try to build an insurance population in captivity before the gene pool of the wild population dwindles to an unsustainable level. An earlier attempt to hatch eggs and get them past the transition, transition stage between tadpole and young frog has failed. But they succeeded this time. And currently, the population in the wild, they, they believe, is less than 2,500 in the wild. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. But at least this time, they've actually su- successfully hatched, hatched and produced them. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. So one of those stories is fake, and I think I made it hard tonight. Yeah, you did, actually. All right, <laughs> everybody in the chat yeah. room, CADD recap, Steve. All right, the recap is judge says lawsuit over Python ban may proceed. New way to track invasive pythons. Snake escape prompts school evacuation, eight-foot boa abandoned in zoo, fleeing suspect stopped by snake, man jailed after snakes and marijuana found, 
an albino snake plaguing the Canary Islands, an endangered baba frog hatched in captivity. That's the recap. One of them is right. All right, I'm watching the chat room. What do you guys think? <clears throat> Elsa thinks uh, one in the school evacuating for the ball python. Uh, Brian says the same thing. Sean says the boa abandoned at the zoo. Marcy is agreeing with that. Landon says the man jailed after having snakes and drugs. All right. Yeah, let's, uh, what do you think, John? Um, I know two of the stories are true because I heard of them already. Um, my first thought right. is to probably say the, al- the albino king snake in the Canary Islands, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the boa tracking, tracking the boa, or I'm sorry, the, the Burmese pythons with the DNA in Florida. Cause that just seems outrageous to me. Kind of <laughs> so, I mean, they, they sent out 1500 people on that, that roundup and they only found like 60 something snakes or something at one time. So I just can't even imagine them. If they can't even find the snakes, how are they tracking the DNA, you know, across the Everglades? So I'm going to yeah. go with that one. All right, that that one sounds like it to me too. But I also think the albino uh, king snake, California king snakes in the Canary Islands, just sounds preposterous. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with that. I'm going I'm going to be a little different. I'm going to go with the albino cow king invading the Canary Islands. Um, what do we right. got, Steve? What is it? <laughs> the eight foot boa abandoned in the zoo. Wow, that's, that's false. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Which, Let's see, uh, Brett got it, uh, Marcy got it, and I sh- think Sean got it in, in the chat room. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, this is a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Getting trickier. I told you, Steve evolves like the Borg. Gets trickier every time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, guess what? We got this coming for you now, folks. Now, a moment in Herp history. All right, July 22nd, 1929. The the title is Big Python Has 32-Foot Stomach Ache. In Canton, Ohio, the world's worst stomach ache today caused grave fear for the life of Big Samson, a 30-foot, 32-foot python snake valued at $100 a foot in 1929. The stomach ache, the biggest ever known in Canton medical circles, caused veterinarians to hang their heads in defeat. They feared to risk an operation. Consequently, Samson was boarded up and shipped to the Cincinnati Zoo, where more expert services may be obtained. Samson's stomach ache is the result of his greed. Fed only once every few weeks, he naturally was hungry when his keepers elected to feed him a pigeon. The bird was tossed into the cage, and the the huge snake glided for it eagerly. In the cage was a large red blanket to protect Samson from the cold nights he had been experiencing. The pigeon hid behind the blanket, but Samson swallowed both. The blanket and the pigeon. I'm looking for an update story on it, but this was the initial story. I'm looking for a, you know, a a continuation on this story to see what happened. A follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's funny. But that was <laughs> okay. July 22nd, 1929. Uh, wow. I bet you it probably threw it up at some point, you know? I mean, Probably, yeah. I can't imagine it passing through the other way. What do you think, John? You've kept big snakes. What do you think? Oh, I'm just trying to think of a 32-foot snake up massive, you know, but... <laughs> It's gotta yeah, be a reason. I, I mean, I, I, if it's 32 foot, I mean, I could imagine it would probably pass it just fine. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that would be like a piece of aspen shaving for one of my bows <laughs> for that thing. <laughs> hmm. um, Maybe, yeah. Well, in, in right. 1929, I think they exaggerated a little more. Yeah, had to be. <laughs> <laughs> so he probably wasn't actually 32 feet. So. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they, there's a standard of, of a, of a retic reaching 32 feet, that's what they, you know, it's in all the all the reptile books say it, that they can reach up to yeah. 32 feet. So at some point, this 32-foot standard for retics has to be established, and I'm wondering if, you know, this, this isn't the case or one of those other stories you told us. But uh, Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. All right, cool. So what's going on in your collection, Steve? Uh, not much. I got a couple more... Uh... Leopard gecko clutches. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, sun glow. Uh, let's see, two uh, uh, hypo tangerine hat bell. Um, and I think I got another bandit clutch. And I've been packing up my displays, kind of trying to get ready to move, which we're still waiting yeah, on. Yeah, when's that clothing. happening? I don't know, we're uh, still waiting on the lawyers. But okay. They're they're trying to get their money's worth out of me, I think. <laughs> oh yeah, they have lunch with each other and discuss how they're gonna chisel, uh, you know. Yes. Chisel they away have lunch, at you. lunch on me. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But okay. other than that, all right. Not too much. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you giving us the news stories tonight, of course, and um, giving us your information so people can find you. Check me out on Facebook and YouTube under BC Barker Creations. Awesome. Thanks again, Steve. We'll see you uh, next weekend. I'll see you there. All right. Thanks, Steve. See you. All right, folks. Um, we're going to start with our night of open lines now. And the phone number to call in is 646 646- Four seven eight five three three one. Again, it's six four six four seven eight five three three one. As far as the, the raffle prize goes, so far it's a three pound bag of Marcy's Chow, and um, I may or may not add to that prize. We'll see how the show goes and see um, who's calling in. Maybe I'll throw something in too. So um, let's get things rolling. I see one call already. Uh, I think we're gonna bring this guy on, and he's gonna be my co-host for the rest of the night. Mr. Darrell, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. How's it going this evening? Hey, Darrell. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. So, same old stuff, like always, cleaning cages and uh, feeding. Seems like that's all I do anymore. I know how y'all feel now. Oh, you're just getting started, man. (laughs) (laughs) He has no idea what he's in for, does he, John? Yeah, it's, it's... it very quickly becomes a pretty a pretty big task after a while. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, but it's lots yeah. of fun. Hmm. Oh yeah. Now that I'm finally Definitely. getting some eggs to hatch and 
cooking in the incubator. It's uh, it's pretty exciting around here. All right. Well, let's go ahead and grab one of our callers. Let's see. We have uh, actually we have a bunch on. I'll pick this one. It's been on the longest, and she's a regular caller. Miss Elsa, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, I, I've been reading Ron Tremper's book, or should I say, trying to digest Ron Tremper's book, and he goes he goes into um. Now this isn't just about leopard geckos because I don't have just leopard geckos, but he his book is about leopard geckos, and he he goes into the fact that mealworms get a bum rap in 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 the um you know in in the in the gecko world in general and because they he says that um he say that they can't digest it properly well i mean he feeds mealworms to his geckos exclusively just doesn't he and yeah uh, just, but i was wondering he, he said, you know my crusties and my guards, well, my guards won't touch them, but my crusties and my toke, they all love them. And, you know, I, I don't feed them to them all the time, but I was, I was wondering, what do you guys feel about uh, mealworms and the controversy about it? Do you feed them to anything besides leopard geckos? Does anybody know? That's any a good question. Uh, yeah, well, I think I think like anything else, I think a balanced diet is important. I mean, everybody's going to have a different way of doing things, and you know, mealworms is a an easy way for a lot of people to feed all their geckos, and leopard geckos can do fine for their whole lives on mealworms. Um, I find them to be very good for starting up younger leopard geckos, and I pretty much exclusively feed mealworms to all my normal um, macularis leopard geckos, so I don't. I don't feed them to my, my species like Hardwicky and Fuscus and Angamania, but as far as like your normal average leopard gecko, they can they can go their whole lives on it and be okay. Um, you know, Ron Tripper has uh, the longest documented lived leopard gecko in history, from what I understand. So, I mean, they can't be that bad, you know, feeding them exclusively. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I think I think you know variance is good. Like I feed my my adults, and I found that I've had better better um, quality eggs and better um, fertility rates when I feed dubia along with worms. So most of my adults, I feed as far as leopard geckos go, I feed dubia and I feed uh, superworms also. But um, yeah, you can you can do mealworms too. I mean, I know a few people that that's all they feed are mealworms, pretty much to leopard geckos. For most other species of, of uh, geckos and lizards, for that matter, they, they, they're going to probably need either crickets or another roach species. So I typically I typically like, for anything that typically eats like crickets and some of the other species, I like to use lateralis roaches. They're kind of like the cricket of roaches. They have a really um, soft exoskeleton and they work well as a replacement for for crickets if you don't want to deal with crickets, and they also breed like crazy, so they're very easy to maintain and keep um, and, and breed very successfully. So you can have a small mm-hmm. colony of lateralis and it can feed all your all your cricket feeders pretty easily. Um, and then dubia have always been a very good staple for leopard geckos and other species as well too. So 
I mean, there's yeah, no, I would have to agree uh, with that too. Yeah, everybody does things a little different. I mean, that's that comes down to personal opinion and preference. And uh, I, I find starting leopard geckos on mealworms and switching them off works best for me. But you know, it just depends. Yeah. Hey, John. Whenever those, whenever yeah. you say that you you mix in dubias with your adults, your breeders. Yeah. Do you just do it every once in a while and just give them a handful or? Do you have a set schedule on that? My preference is to feed Dubia pretty much exclusively to my adults and only feed them Dubia. But um, I do have to supplement, especially during the breeding season, I do have to supplement with uh, superworms just because my, I mean, I have I have 11 35-gallon um, coats of Dubia breeders, and I, I still can't keep up with my adult leopard geckos during the breeding season. So I still have to buy, I still have to buy, um, super worms and uh, supplement them with that as well but um, Dubia once once they get out of the six quart I, I raise them up all the way to you know almost breeding size in the six quart tubs and they do very well that way and then I switch them over to pretty much when they're ready to breed I switch them over to a larger tub and then I, I add a moist hide and I start feeding them Dubias at that point and they all switch over fine for me I've never had one that didn't switch so uh, it's kind of the nice thing about starting them with mealworms is, you know, pretty much anybody, if I ship a gag out of somebody, pretty much no matter what they're going to feed them, they're going to switch over pretty easily if they've been started on mealworms as well. So if I, Except for these Montanas so I think, that I got. <laughs> well, those really? are like that in general. And <laughs> I actually, I do start those on mealworms as well, but I think they would prefer Dubia roaches if you have them available, though, especially uh-huh. when they're older. Yeah, yeah, I kind of, I kind of you know, being... I've, I've used the superworms, too, so I like superworms as well. But, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Daryl, sorry. No, I, I, that's kind of what I did. You know, being new, I raised everything up in six-quart, you know, until they got, you know, like like John saying, breeding size, and I've switched them over to bigger boxes. But I still feed nearly everything mealworms. Uh, like John says, the Agamani use... I feed those dubias because that's what he told me they were eating, and, and they like them. But I never have tried to feed any of my adult breeders dubias before. Uh, that's all the species as well. My Montanas eat mealworms without a problem. You know, so do yeah. they. They were raised on mealworms, so they should be fine. But, you know, I, I find most of them, once they've had dubias as an adult, they're harder to switch back. So... I, I I feel that they prefer them, and I I really think that I've gotten better egg production out of them and better quality eggs. You can just tell when the you know they're getting they're just healthier animals to me in general. Right. So, yeah, um, I know that Trimper okay. too. I think his breeding females, he feeds them pinky mice like once a month. I think he does that as well. Yeah, yeah you can do that. You can do that also. I I stopped doing that um, a while back, but you know that, I know some people do. Yeah. Yeah. But. All right. We're going to go ahead and grab our next caller here. Caller from the, let's see, caller from the 805 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi. Crystal again. Hi. Who's this? Hi. It's Crystal. Hey, Crystal. How are you? I'm good. I just wanted What's to tonight? ask a pretty hard question, I think, anyways. <laughs> okay. That's good. We like the hard ones. All right. Uh, uh, ge- the gecko designers just came out with that black knight gecko. 
So I'm wondering what's mm-hmm. going to happen to the Black Pearl project, and once you get that perfect black gecko, what can you do with it after that? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll start off with this, and then, John, you can jump in. Um, I think, I, I'm, as far as I know, um, Ray only got, I think, two females, I think that's what it is. With that project, it's, it's been in development for like 15 years now, and it's like a, it's a yeah. line, Ray, heavily, well, line, heavily lined red thing. Go ahead, John. Well, yeah, he didn't. He didn't start it off. First of all, that was he purchased that from Europe, which a lot of right. people were offered that same same that same gecko or those those same geckos, you know. But they were very expensive and very risky as far as an investment. So yeah, but, I didn't want to invest in them either. <laughs> yeah, but but um, the thing with that is they're really cool and they definitely deserve respect. I believe um, just for everything that's gone into them. And uh, the only thing is, in order to keep that look going you have to keep breeding those together. I mean, you have to keep breeding black knight to black knight in order to keep that dark color. As soon as you cross it to anything else, it's going to dilute it, and, you know, you're not going to get that result. So, you know, we, we are still looking for a true melanistic gene, one that's like a dominant, a recessive, something that we can easily reproduce in one or two generations. And so far, that hasn't presented itself. Now, uh, I have experience with the black pearls, and so does John, um, you know, I think, John, why don't you jump in on the Black Pearl and uh, what you're working with, and I can jump in afterwards. Uh, well, yeah, I agree with you pretty much on what you said about the, the Black Knight. And the, thing, the problem with the Black Knight, too, is it's so heavily inbred at this point that, you know, it, it's going to have its issues. That, that line has been inbred and inbred and inbred. And I know that for a fact that if you don't, you know, if you don't bleed <laughs> – like the blackest ones together, they don't end up being that black. It's very cool, and I think there is a lot of potential with it, but I think the potential is really where I'm looking at is down the road with, you know, outcrossing it to a few things. I have a few things that I, I've i even thought if I got one, I would outcross it too and then start working it back in together. But I really see, I really feel it's so heavily inbred that anything you outcross the first generation is going to be, you know, just whatever's, you know. And I know for a fact that only the females are that black. The males are not. They're still cool looking, but they're definitely not even close to that black. So there's definitely a lot of, you know, I'm not trying to discourage the project at all, but I think the I think the temperature is a big deal that's going on with those really jet black ones because they have to be. So that's why the females are low. darker than. Yeah, that's why the females well, are darker. Well, the females are far darker than the males, which is really making me think. You know, it's a very um, temperature dependent thing that's going on with those jet black ones but you know going down the road i think and you know i think it's going to be a key to you know being a, at least a line bred black gene you know once we mm-hmm. can now cross it a little bit and get some better better genetic diversity in it but i don't know i i don't know enough about like the specifics on what went into being how it got bred but i've from what i've heard it's just been line bred for almost 14 15 years so i mean in kind of strange because you don't see any of the byproduct of that animal, so I don't know what they did with all those animals, but um, it, it seems to me like I, you see the short heads and, the, and sometimes the eyes are a little bit bigger, which is very common when you have a heavily line-bred animal. Um, as far as the black pearls and charcoals, like I'm kind of going my own direction on that. Like I got, I originally got a black pearl charcoal from JMG, and then I got a charcoal female, and the female is pretty phenomenal. Even the male, actually, the black pearl charcoal cross male is pretty phenomenal, too. Um, the the original thought was that black pearls were recessive at that time, where you could 
you know, I could breed this 100% het male to this charcoal female and breed it back together and produce an all-black gecko. But it's turning out that, I mean, I've heard mixed um, theories on it, but, from like, the people that I know that actually have them have said that, that you almost have to start with a black animal to ever produce, like, a like a like what you would consider a, a black pearl animal. Um, also, there's other things mixed involved in it. There's, like, the Murphy pattern list, and some of them are het for ember um mine luckily my original black pearl charcoal male doesn't isn't het for ember at all he's not het for anything that i know of at least and uh i think i'm just going to go with the line bread aspect of it you know the chart the black pearl in it i don't really you know black pearl's kind of lost its steam a lot but i think the charcoal and the combination there really it does make a different looking gecko for sure it makes it darker and is is this the crystal that bought some for me recently? Yes. Okay. Yeah. As you as you can see in person, they're they definitely got a like a weirder dark look. And yeah. But when you breed breed those this year, you're going to produce a few that are darker because some of the ones I produced I've last got, year. I've really got nine cool. eggs right now, so I'm looking forward oh, to what nice. they look like when I get them out. Yeah. Send me some pictures. I'm really interested to see what you get. Oh, I will. I'll definitely send you some but, pictures. I got, I mean, I got some last year that were really starting to show promise as being pretty dark. And I mean, give me, give me three generations, and I bet I'm producing stuff as, you know, not maybe not jet black, but definitely got a crazy weird look to it. That's yeah. Like you you think, John? Do you think that the black pearls also line bred then as well? Um, no, line-bred I don't think or so. Or do you think there's something different going on there? It's it's just a weird genetic, to be honest. Like. The only person that I really talked to that's really done a lot with them or enough to really understand them is probably Matt. And he says that you kind of have to start with a dark animal and breed it to the animals from that group to, to ever even produce one, which, I mean, maybe it's uh, – I mean, it doesn't make sense because you can't breed, like, that dark animal to a, any other gecko and produce it, so it's not a dominant. And – you can't take, like, the animals from a dark animal and breed them back and produce it like a recessive. So right. it's, it's kind of got its own weird on, thing let going. Me jump in, uh, let me jump in real quick. Uh, but you guys have seen the the dark, uh, the black pearl pattern list I produced, and that's yeah. from a Max Snow uh, black pearl charcoal, whatever you want to call it, to a female uh, that isn't very dark, and yet the baby came out just about jet black. And from what I hear, I sold it. What I from what I hear is still holding that color. Uh, it's on. It's a. I don't know how many grams it is now, but it's larger. It's been like four or five months now. So. But I don't know. One of, one of your parents. One of the parents was dark, though, right, Dave? Um, not not dark like or, the way the baby came out. No, the father is a Max Snow version. He's he's dark. Hmm. He's got some. You know, his, his name is Prometheus. So I posted pictures of him. Um, and the mother is just a typical. You know, D Project, Black Pearl, whatever you want to call them, charcoal-looking gecko. Actually, she looks more yellow. And um, so, you know, the line bread aspect kind of threw me off with this particular one. But then again, you know, some patterns hatch out very dark anyway, naturally. So that could be playing into it as well. But Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is that patternless gene working in there, too. When you get that com- yeah. combination, you get a much darker mm-hmm. animal or what per- appears to be much darker. So I think your original yeah. male is probably a darker animal and right to something else from that line produce that but and it's, 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 it's kind of a weird one chat. i've never under nobody really understands it completely or you know that's why it's lost a lot of steam is it's just never you know never been well, 
everybody's true. like like Dave's talking about. Everybody wants the holy grail. They want the true melanistic. And when that animal crops up from a genetic standpoint, that's going to be the game changer. Yeah. That's when you're going to be able yeah. to start really, really making some new. I mean, that's exactly what happened in the corn snake game. You know, they had the red ones early on, you know, and then whenever they got the blacks, you know, um, you know, I mean, that, that's really that, that, that's going to change. That's going to change a lot of things if they if we can ever come up with a true melanistic, then the sky's the limit. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I. In Europe, they're they're pretty much obsessed with the, the the melanistic gecko. You know, there's a there's actually a few lines. Not only the Black Knight, there's a couple other lines out there that are almost as just as dark. So I mean, there's some of them not commanding such a high price tag, but you know, there's there's a few other ones being worked on as well in Europe. So I mean, they're they're, yeah. they're almost ninety percent of the conversations I ever have about a dark animal is coming from Europe because they're just obsessed with it over there. So yeah, I, mean, I think. Well, when, anytime you're dealing with a line bred trait, though, you, you, you've got to to keep it looking good. You've got to keep inbreeding for for whatever you know to the best animals to keep it looking good. Whenever whenever the genetic, the true genetic melanistic crops up, and it's going to. I mean, it, you know, maybe it already has, and we hadn't seen it yet. Who knows? With as many animals as being produced today in the hobby, it's got to happen. And you just hope that somebody catches it. But when that happens, then then it's a genetic game changer, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I think I think there are going to be a lot of line bred ones, but the yeah, like you said, the the true genetic ones are going to be the real one that we're we're looking for. I, I think. Yeah. Can you just like, imagine? I like, I like the charcoal look just as much as I like those jet black ones in a way, because the charcoal sure. just has a you know. A and, and I have a sneaky, it. I have a sneaky feeling that that the the first melanistic when it comes up, it's not going to be jet black. Because if you go back yeah. and look at corn snakes, I'm not, I'm, you know, I got out of the game before the ball pythons really started hitting hard and heavy, so I can't tell you a lot about their history. But but whenever the the first melanistic corn snake came up, it was it was more of a uh, dark charcoal and black. Some of them were black and white. You know, they weren't solid. Mm. So you're, you're, even when it comes up, it's not going to be solid, I don't think, in my opinion. Unless the only way it's going to be solid is if it comes out of the patternless form. If but a melanistic, again, look at blue tongues. You got melanistic blue tongues that are genetic, and you know, there's. I mean, another some some species are jet black as a melanistic. Though. I mean, I mean, I have, I agree, Daryl. You're right. It could be that way. But well, it, you have to, it's pattern though. You got to you got to remember the pattern trait that's going to be involved. That's that's the thing. Yeah. So it makes you know, I mean, and develop black. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, now, if you get exactly. one and and say in a in a bell albino and it comes out and it's going to be, uh, let's say it's dark charcoal and white, you know, mm-hmm. and it'll probably have a little bit of tinge of yellow in it as well, you know, then whenever you cross it into a patternless. You know, a good patternless. You're going to get a solid black animal with a with a white belly or a yellow belly, probably. Or in my right, opinion, right. that's just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it'll, it'll yeah, probably that, happen. Good. We just we'll, we just got to be patient. <laughs> We're, oh, it's we, gonna we happen. always forget how how early we are in the stages of this stuff. And it, yeah, you know, that's now. what Ron's been saying for a while since I've been in the game. You know, we're we're just in the infancy of of uh, morph making, even though. 
you look in the last five years at the advances that have been made, we're, we're still just at the baby steps. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe you'll hit on it, Crystal. What do you think? <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. I just wanted to make sure that my Black Pro project was still safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're safe. You're oh, yeah, it's, it's safe. a good project. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, I, mean, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't think, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to hatch out a Black Pro the next day, but the thing is, you know, you got a, you got a solid line bread project that's actually outcrossed which is right. a really good thing. And, you know, black yeah. pearl and charcoal were not related genetics. So, you know, those were originally outcrossed. And it, it's a strong foundation. All the animals I've gotten out of that out of that cross have been really strong, and they're they're good, you know. As, as some of the line bread stuff really starts to diminish after a while, and it gets down to many generations of, you know, producing, trying to go for the exact same genetic and out of an animal, like tangerines or bloods or whatever it is. They really get... Narrow down on the genetic pool, so I think it, I think you're I think you'll produce a couple darker ones, and then you know just improve upon that, and then next year it's something. That, the fun part about that is you get to do you know get better ones every year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I hatched out a, cool. a really dark Montanus this last year, a male. So I'm going to be messing around with that. I don't know if it's anything, but I mean it's at least three or four shades darker than any other thing I any other Montanus I've ever hatched, so we'll see. Wow. Yeah, well yeah. I'll be crossing cool. that into some of that and see what happens. All, All right. right. Uh, Crystal, we're gonna move on. <laughs> Do you have any other questions right. for tonight, Crystal? Oh no, that was good. Thank you. Awesome. Thank Very you so much for calling. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Thanks Crystal. Bye. Bye. Bye, Crystal. Yeah, I've All got right, six of the, the I've got six of the D Project eggs cooking as well, Dave. I know you were saying that's awesome. You texted me today. What was your question? I'll answer yours now too. <laughs> uh, my, my my question was is do you think I need to incubate any of them for male? Well, well, I would take them back to dad. You know. Yeah. So right. if, I, if I were yeah, if I were you, I would uh, incubate all female. That's just me. So that, that's what I'm doing so far. Yeah, because you got the Halloween mask in those too. So you, you know, you're, you're, we're trying to go for bold and black, bold and dark. You know. Yeah. So I've actually cool. let's right. see, I'll, I'll have some hatch in about two weeks. How how many females yeah, do you have breeding from that? I just ha- I got a pair from Dave. I've got a uh, the male is. Uh, help me out here, Dave. The male is is. Uh, 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 what they are is they're both. Um, did you get a snow version? I think you got a snow version too, right? Yeah, the male is male is snow fascio outcross. No, 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 no. The male is a snow uh, D project cross to yes, a pure yes, Halloween yes, yes. mask. Right, and, uh, right. And so, is the, so is the female, right? The female, same thing. So you got the female is, you got but she's one, she's that antique gold looking. She's different looking. Yeah, she's cool. Yeah. Um, the yeah. female actually looks more. The female looks more. Uh, Black pearlish, in my opinion, because the male has more of the Halloween traits to them. So right. um, they're both dark. They're both got nice, rich, you know, dark colors. Um, you know, I guess put them in the group when you get a chance there. I'm going to show them off a little bit. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, I'll do that. How many eggs? Yeah, I, I can. I'm, I, she just laid two more uh, today, actually. So I'm, I'm sitting on six at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if you got if you got four, because incubating for females is a lot easier than male a lot of times. So I'd I'd incubate two for male, and if you're 
if you're wanting to produce that, I mean, if you're going to produce or if you're going to breed six females, you might as well create a little separate group anyway and maybe pick out, if you incubate two for male and you get two males and pick out the better one and breed it back just to see what where that goes to. I mean, I would do that. He's already got four. He's already got six eggs. I mean, I would only do, unless he's wanting to get, you know, super high numbers. I don't know how many he wants to produce, but, you know, four yeah. females would be enough to breed back to that male to see what happens. And then, right. you know, after that, you could probably do a couple, like, little groups together to see where where it goes there. Right. I'm yeah, with you. Uh, it's I mean, up to you, I guess. Yeah. Either way, you can win yeah. on it, you know. Yeah, and then it, it, I mean, if you're gonna, unless you're, if you're not gonna keep them all, I mean, if you're gonna sell some, then too, you'd, it'd be nice to offer pairs too. Right, that's true. Yeah, I, I finally, uh, I, I finally woke up, and you know, like you guys always say, you can't. I realize you can't keep them all. No, <laughs> definitely. It's something I realize right, guys, every day of my quick, life. Uh, yeah, we we got to take a quick break, guys, uh, and we're gonna come back with more of your call. I have some more callers in the queue. Um, callers, uh, oh, people that are listening, the number is 646-478-5331, and we'll be Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at expos in the northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit supremegecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. All right, folks, and I just want to remind everybody that um, three of our sponsors have standing uh, promotional codes going right now, number one being abdragons.com. Use the code GECKO at checkout for 5% off FlexWatt and your roaches. And also Rainbow Mealworms has a 30% off coupon that's good for two orders, I believe, up until the end of May. And the code is GECKO NATION, all in caps. Also, one last one from Reptiles Express. The code is GECKO NATION10. You're going to get 10% off on two 
I think it's two purchases um, and anything over $45. So if you guys need to order, uh, you know, shipping supplies or you need to ship some animals, use the code. All right, folks, I'm bringing back John and Daryl, my co-host, for tonight. And uh, we're going to take more of your calls. The call queue's filling up pretty good. All right, let's go ahead and I'll take the one that's been on the longest. All right, caller from the 612 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. How are you doing, everybody? This is Chad. Hey, Chad, hey, Chad. how are you, bud? Hey, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Say, I got a question for you. Uh, what, what do you do when you get a gecko that decides it just doesn't want to eat anymore? Um, and, you know, the the temps are all, you know, the same with your other animals, and you've tried the mealworms, you've tried crickets, you've tried dubia, different sizes of each, of course, uh, mm-hmm. with vitamins, without coating, with this, with, with this, without that, um, feeding in the cage, out of the cage, and this, this happens to be a female uh, Afghanicus, um, that just decides, yeah, it wants nothing to do with food, period, at this point. So I'm a little concerned, um, trying to get some ideas. How big, how big is John the Afghanicus? This is, uh, it, it's an adult I got from Razor Sharp. Um, I don't know what the actual gram weight is right now, but she's, you know, she's pretty much full size. Okay. Do you know, do you know if she's ovulating or do you know how to check for that? Uh, she was, uh, she was showing some ovulation about a, about a week ago, but it's okay. probably been better than two weeks since she's eaten anything. Yeah, if, if she's, she's ovulating, drinking. that's actually that's actually normal. So she can probably go one to two months without eating at all. Um, usually they'll eat something during that period, but during this period where they ovulate, they pretty much stop eating. And it's actually one of the signs that I actually look for for an ovulating female is they'll They'll basically stop eating. Their tail will skinny down a little bit, and their belly will swell. And then you can obviously see the the little pink dots on their stomach for the ovulation. Mm-hmm. But um, during this period, they're just not going to eat. That's just naturally what happens, you know. None of my none of my uh, females that are ovulating really eat during that period. They'll, you know, usually after a couple of weeks, they might have a little bit, but it's nothing to worry about. It's just natural. Okay. Um, if you're going to breed her, that's the time to breed her. And the second she right. lays that egg, she's going to need a lot of food. So. Right. If you, uh, I, I haven't decided if I was going to breed him this year or not. She was, you know, just kind of coming to the to the size where I was comfortable breeding her. You know, halfies are smaller to begin with. And, yeah. You know, you know how my, much she weighs. I don't. I don't have a weight on her at the moment here, but okay. um, you know, my last breeding, I I'm just getting back into the, the leopard gecko breeding after 25 years, so um, I'm still relearning the leopard gecko aspect of things here, and uh, she got me a little worried there, so. <laughs> Yeah, she's fine, and I mean, I breed my Afghans down to 30 grams even, you know, the females. Okay. They're small, they're small species, and mm-hmm. I mean, from what I've seen from anything that's out in the wild, I mean, these geckos are probably breeding 25, 30 grams in the wild, to be honest. Okay. Um, they probably have more maturity than, you know, what we produce, like if we if we get an animal to 30, 40 grams within a couple months, that's obviously too young still, but right. as far as... As far as the weight goes, that's not a big deal if you wanted to breed her. Just keep her very moist. You know, one of the biggest things to keep down the the egg binding, which is in, unavoidable. You know, it can happen to any female. But mm-hmm. younger ones are a little bit more prone to that or smaller geckos too. Um, you just keep them, just keep a really good moist hide in there that has plenty of moisture during that time. And usually once they get that first 
those first eggs out, they're good to go from there. Yeah, so I'm using in their moist hide. I'm using the uh, the coke, the shredded coconut. Uh, yeah, that's that's the perfect. Eco stuff. You know, okay, Eco Earth is good. I actually uh, I actually recommend the new stuff that the Sean your gecko guys producing the the Repta. Um, what is it? The Repta Earth, Dave. I forgot oh, all about all this, but he, yeah, he, he's got. I forget. He, yeah, yeah it's 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 the grow. It's it's a cocoa fiber as well, but it's just a higher quality. Okay. He sent me a couple of sample packs, and I love it. It's actually extremely good stuff. Um, is it still a uh, compressed brick like the other stuff is then? Yeah, it, it comes in the bricks just the same, and then it's it's just a better quality. The second you uh, you check it out, you'll or you use it, you'll know it's just made. You know, it's a it's a nat. He's gone over it with me a few times about the whole you know process that they've gone to to, to produce it. But you know, they listen to the show. What, what a couple I, weeks ago. Yeah, I mean the Eco Earth. The you know what they do to produce that stuff is you know kind of makes me wonder why I ever use it now. But I've used that for years. But you know, I, I like this. I like this new stuff a lot. Um, okay. But any organic, if you get like a high quality. Uh, uh, coconut fiber, you should be fine. Anything that's like organic, okay. high quality, you should be so good. But as, as long as, so back to the original thing, as long as her tail doesn't, you know, bone out too bad, then we were, well, we're it, good when shape. they're ovulating like that, and if you don't breed them, they're going to, they, they might, they, the tail might get pretty skinny at, at some point. But okay. it, it's normal. If she doesn't pick up after like two months, then that's something you might worry about. But that's, this is normal. This is just something okay. that happens every year for that for every, pretty much every female. You know, it's a it's a very common thing. And then yeah, like it's been you know, a long time, so I'm just starting trying to get remember all this stuff again. Yeah, I I kind of actually take the food out completely during this time just to like you know desensitize them from it. Um, so when I do put food in there, and I'll, I'd, I'd take food out for the next two weeks to be honest, and then I'd put it in and. You know, she might eat a couple at that point, you know. Um, so just keep the food, uh, water and vitamins in there then. Yeah, just give her a spray or, you know, um, you can keep the – she might not even take the vitamins at this point. I've never noticed if they do it or not during this time, but um, a good good measure just to keep them in there. But, yeah, just uh, don't if, – if you do breed her and she lays her eggs, make sure you have food then, though. That's when she needs it. Right. Though. So she'll, she'll right, instantly well. eat like a pig. So. Yeah. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. All right, thanks for calling in, Chad. Thanks, bye. All right, we have a question from um, Brian. He's in the chat room, Brian Brian Gekis, but he also uh, sent a picture, uh, sent a question in on Facebook. The question is, um, he'd like for us to have a little bit of a discussion about uh, bins and racks and tank sizes. And uh, for instance, why do most breeders uh, large and small often only have one hide in their in the bin due to room versus three hides in the glass tank, and why is it acceptable? Questions along those lines. Um, so basically, he wants to know why, you know, like in in like hatchling racks, why do we only have one hide, and why do people that have their geckos in tanks have a hide on the cool side, hide on the warm side, stuff like that. Um, I mean, I could I could jump in and just talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, as a breeder, when you're Keeping leopard geckos on a large scale, it basically comes down to uh, space, efficiency, time management, stuff like that. Um, at the end of the day, you know, in a hatchling rack or in a gecko rack, uh, one hide is totally sufficient for your geckos. But 
if you're keeping your geckos in a big tank and you can afford to give them extra anemones and luxuries, so to speak, you know, having multiple hides is totally fine. Um, John, do you have anything you want to add to that? Um, I think it's just relative to space. If you have a big terrarium, you're going to need more spaces for them to hide. <clears throat> geckos are naturally, they like to, to, to curl up in small crevices. And this comes down to the whole debate between terrariums and tubs. And, you know, I get people that always are like, oh, you can't keep them in tubs, and you're cruel for keeping them in a small tub like that. And that's no. just this us humans, you know, associating ourselves and pretending ourselves to be a little gecko that, you know, would want to run around and play play like a jungle gym, which these, these animals don't. They just, want to, they just want to curl in a small crack and hide away from predators. That's what they feel comfortable. Like, you mm-hmm. know, when... It's just like us when we want to be, as babies, we want to be, like, you know, um, wrapped around in a blanket. I forget the name of what it's called. But, swaddling. Um, yeah, swaddling. <laughs> you know, it's it's a comfort feeling, you know, and it's the same thing for a little gecko that, you know, just hatched into this world, and you want to put it in a big terrarium that's open and, and it's glass so that it sees all these big eyes looking at it from the outside, you know, this thing, <laughs> this thing freaks, it freaks out at that point. So, honestly... Yeah. The smaller the smaller tub you can start them off in, the better in a way. So, oh, yeah. you know, and what I do is in six quart tubs, I put those little hides in there because it makes a smaller space for them to hide in. You know, people think, yeah. oh, a six quart tub is so tiny for an animal, but these things love being in smaller ones, and they want a smaller one, so that's why you put the hide in. And then I'm actually doing like with the larger ones that get older. I actually take the hides out now because the in a rack system they're already enclosed, so it makes them feel comfortable already. So I find half the time they just kick the hide around and they don't even use it anyway and they usually just go under the, the paper towel or whatever. So I, I've just been taking it out lately and it's actually worked pretty well. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you, if you have a big terrarium, you just want – you have a lot of open space in there and you want to you create – especially if you have multiple geckos in one terrarium, um, you want to create mm-hmm. other spots for them um, that they can – they can pick. So if they if they want to be at a cooler temperature, they can be so comfortable in a big terrarium, still hiding in a in a smaller spot. Um, in a terrarium, they can get on the cool end, and you know they still still feel like they're enclosed. They're not really worried about predators or anything. But you know, a big terrarium just causes causes them to be stressed out. Um, and I mean, if you have a, a extra geckos, you want to make plenty of space on both ends. So if you have a hot side. You want to have plenty of space by either making two moist hides or making a large moist hide. And if you have, um, you know, on the cool side, you want a couple of spots for them because they don't. Everybody wants to house their geckos together, and they don't necessarily benefit from that at, at all, really. It's just that we right. we think that they do, and or we want them to. They need a friend or something. Yeah, they, they don't need, need a friend. They need the best friend. Yeah, they don't need <laughs> it. They're not really communal geckos in a way, you know, but. You can, uh, you know, keeping them separate is is the best thing. If people want to put them together, it can work. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I do it myself, but you always just have to be, you have to be able to separate them. I mean, I think this is the, I think the most common question is obviously what morph do I have, but then the second most common is like, how do I put my geckos together or can I house them together? And I mean, the the main rules are females only together, and then, um, you know, similar sizes and to watch them right away and, you know, make sure you have plenty of hides for them. Um, if yeah. you need to separate them, you always have to have the option to separate them. You know, I have to separate mine sometimes. Sometimes one female won't eat enough and the other one either hogs the food or kind of bullies them or stresses out the other one. And then you just yeah. have to separate them out. So, 
A lot of times mm-hmm. I take an yeah, adult leopard gecko that's not eating in a group and I throw them in a six-quart tub and people are like, wow, you put them in a, a huge gecko like that in a six-quart tub? And I'm like, yeah, that's, it has the heat and the food right on them. So, like, instantly they, they bounce right back. It's just one that's of those things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've done the same thing it, with, like, females, like, in groups that, you know, if there's a smaller female and she gets a little stressed out by the others, I'll take her out mm-hmm. and I'll put her in her own six-quart tub. I give her a high to water and food. And she's usually starts eating right away and bounces back. And, you know, I don't usually yeah. put her back in that group with those girls again. But, you know, I usually set her up on her own. But, you know, it's an instant, almost instant, you know, bouncing back for them. Yeah. It just comes down to people starting to realize more what these geckos want and their habitat and listening to the animals mm-hmm. instead of instead of what we want them to do, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, it's just... They they can do very well in terrariums, and you got if you set it up right and you do things correctly. But you can do things a lot easier and for the gecko's benefit in a tub. That's why we use tubs. I mean, it's you know it's not only to save space and to house them like that. It's it's also because they just do better in that. It's you know a humid environment that they feel secure in. You know, which is mm-hmm. exactly what they want in the wild. They want to crack in the. I have the Zangramanu that you know. I have a video of that too, but if anybody wants to check it out. But the Zangramanu that I have, that are in that big 36-inch Exoterra, I have a male that <laughs> digs holes in the back styrofoam to get behind between the styrofoam and the glass because he wants to hide between <laughs> that. Like I mean, <laughs> I've taped this thing down. I've I've done everything. He actually rips that styrofoam apart. I have a big hole in it right now, and I just gave up. I just let him hide back there now because that's where he wants to go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you don't. Everybody thinks, oh, he he wants that whole terrarium to walk around and hang out, and he wants to go in the corner and crack in the smallest space he can he can find. You know, yeah. that's the way they are in the wild. Well, that's an awesome question, um, Brian. And I'm, and for your question, I know you didn't call in, but I'm still going to enter you into the raffle for tonight for making the effort and leaving that for us. So thank you. Um, let's go ahead and grab our next caller here. Uh, let's see, caller from. Who's been on the longest? Uh, let's see. Caller from the 530 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, how's it going? This is Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. What's up? Yeah, what's up? Hey, it's not getting an echo, is it? Uh, a little bit, no. but we can handle it. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't have my computer on or not, but we had, I don't know, I had computer problems last night. I may so, mute you on and off. We'll see how it goes. See how it goes. <laughs> All right. Uh, question. Oh, back to the Black Knight thing, the melanistic deal. Well, not necessarily the Black Knight. I, I, this is something that's crossed my mind like all the time when, whenever the the, uh, the black pearl or charcoal or any of that comes up. How come there hasn't been any black max like in the super form? You know that. Yeah, that's an awesome like, question. I proposed why, why hasn't that popped up? Yeah. What do you yeah, say? What do you on, say, John? <laughs> I'm going to mute you, Jeff. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, John. You go, and then I'll jump in. <laughs> okay. The question is why there's not any black in, in the super snow? Super snow. Yeah, like why is it that max super snows are just, you know, black and white, and how come there's not more black, you know, color in between? You know what I mean? Um, the black spots. You know, the super snow has a little bit of variance to it, but I, I thank you. The, the super snow is a weird gene because it kind of almost blacks out every, or it, it drowns out everything else that's out there. Like, you know, you can have any color and any pattern or whatever, 
I mean, you'll, there'll be a little variance in the super snow, but it won't be a big difference, you know. Um, I, I personally believe, like, you know, the, the speckled ones and the dorites and all that stuff, that's all pet blizzards or powderless stuff. But, you know, the, most of the, most of them, for the most part, are, are going to be are going to be very similar. I mean, if you breed bold snows, like, or bandit snows or whatever together, you're going to get a little bit more bold spotting. But for the most part, it's going to look like a super snow still. So, I mean, maybe you can line breed it down to that, but I just don't, I don't see it ever really being black all the way. It might be, maybe some variance of it. Remember when we were talking, and I I think I even put this to Daryl too, and I don't know if this could happen, but it's something I was thinking about. Um, you know, I'm using that male Prometheus with my Black Pearl project, and I was thinking, he is a snow, and he's a very dark-looking snow. What if I, uh, and then some of the babies from last year were snows, so I put him back to some of his female uh, babies. So what if I produce, what is it possible, what if to produce a super snow that, you know, has some of the charcoal effect going into that, maybe even some of the Black Pearl, uh, maybe even the patternless, that just, you know, kind of, can't not cancels out, but adds to it so that, you know, the, you get the spotting of the super snow, and then in between that spotting where it's usually grayish-white, that other, those other genes will fill in and maybe help create a very dark, solid, black or almost black gecko. You know, what do you, what do you think, John? You remember we were talking about you, that? You, you, never really, you never really know until you try it out. My, my thought in my head is just that it, it probably wouldn't. It would just create more of a patternless gecko. Um, mm-hmm. The super snow already kind of creates a patternless I bred snow bandit to snow bandit, and I produce super snows from it. And they have their spotting is a little bit bolder, but not anything significant. Like it's not something you'd be like, oh, that's totally different. Um, yeah, it's it's something that you know you could try it out and see what happens. But I I think the super snow is a patternless kind of thing that happens. It makes the spotting kind of patternless. But you do that with a Murphy or you do that with a Blizzard, or whatever. It's just gonna it's just gonna create kind of a kind of a, you know, more of a patternless echo in general. So, yeah. I don't I don't think my theory is that it wouldn't wouldn't create that. I don't know if it's been done. Matt Matt would probably be better to ask or somebody else, but I haven't I haven't done that much stuff with super snows to know what what would happen if you got a super snow patternless, but I mean at the same time I just don't think it I don't think it's going to do anything, you know. The patternless genes, a lot of those things are kind of dead ends. Like you, you know, you can do white outs with them. You can do all kinds of, or not white outs, <laughs> uh, white and yellows with them, and you can do all kinds of things. And and uh, but they they're not going to show the pattern or color like you would expect. So mm-hmm. there might yeah, be I don't have the experience. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, don't, I don't I don't have the experience that you guys do with it, obviously. But I I think John hit on it. I I think somewhere in the genetic makeup of the super snow that you're losing you're losing the color producing patterns to a certain extent mm-hmm. so you're not going to see the dark that, well hold on now. now now you've seen super snows that can be that are starting to be striped you're seeing uh, a couple super snows that are forming bolder head patterns almost like bandits around produce one um there are some right. things that are able to fill in some of those spots i mean i'm, I'm just speculating i'm just you know I think there might be I just don't I don't too. think you'll ever get the for lack of a better term the ground color. The spotting is obviously the pattern lining up, but I don't think you'll ever you can, get the ground could, color to darken. Well, hold on. If you can selectively breed these super snows to have less spotting, why wouldn't you be able to selectively breed them to have more 
and more spotting eventually taking over the entire gecko. Um, I don't know. I, I think that you, you might could do that. You might could increase the number of spots, which in turn would would make it darken. But I, yeah, I mean, you might could do that. I, I could see that happening before. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something going I, I on just, there. I just feel like you would have, if you were doing like say bandits or, or bolds or or hauling masks, and you were doing that, you'd probably have a black gecko before you'd have a black super snow. But you know the. It, it, you're right, Dave. There is a variance in it for sure. There, you know, white and yellow definitely has an effect on super snows. Um, you know, there's 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 definitely variance in it. I I think the blizzard or heck the blizzard gene has an effect on super snows because it makes them more of a speckled pattern. But there definitely there definitely is some variance. I just don't think it's gonna. You know, it produces like a gecko that's very white and very black at the same time in a way. You know, it has it, right. it concentrates the little spots into smaller sections, and it would be hard oh, okay. to to eliminate that white. I, feel. I don't know. Right, I mean, it, it, this is all stuff that can be. On. You know, maybe in fifty years we'll have one. You know, you never know. Right. Oh yeah. Well, all right, Jeff. I'm going to bring you back on for a second. Let's uh, hear your follow up. Unmute. Oh yeah, no, that it kind of makes sense. It's like uh, you know, with the the patternless and the raptor, the um, how it it the it, uh, it cancels itself out. I I, I kind of thought about that too. I don't know. It's just a thought. I wondered if anybody was, had worked with it that you guys knew of. And that, oh, you you ran to me like a weird looking super snow for sure. Yeah, I'll see one. I'll see one on the forums, and I'm like, oh wow, that's pretty cool. I've never seen anything that's totally reproducible in a way. I mean, I don't know all the specifics behind, like, the Dorite and stuff. My my thought is it's Pet Blizzard, but, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe it is is something that's been line-bred to look like that. And there there could be another gene that pops up that works in combination with the Super Snow that creates a dark animal. It's, it's I mean, it's open to anything. Not just for, right. for general breeding, like, you're you're trying to breed you know, super snows, like bold super snows or stuff like that, I don't think it's going to happen very soon at least. So. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and grab our next caller. Thanks, Jeff, for the question. Good, good question. All right. Caller from the, uh, let's see, 360 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey, who's this? Hey, hey this is uh, Joey here, and... Uh, I am wondering if uh, you guys have any have like experienced any gecko that's like has had any like drastic changes in behavior overnight because one of my uh, female raptors that I had that I hatched out uh, a couple weeks ago, um, really great gecko, eating great, really healthy, and then yesterday I think it was she just I put my hand in there to go try and pick her up or you know give her food. And she just totally freaked out, started screaming, and, like, tried to bite me. So I was just wondering if you guys have experienced anything like that. Mm. Oh, yeah. We've had some, I've had some geckos that just <laughs> turned psycho. <laughs> what about you, John? <laughs> yeah, it's completely normal. It's just natural right. defense behavior. You know, sometimes, for whatever reason, a reptile can can act a certain way at a certain time, but the generalization is that younger geckos are going to be more defensive and scream um, just because that's the only way they're going to survive against a predator that's larger to them, you know. As they get older, they start to calm down, and the longer it goes, um, you know, the more calm they get. 
Actually, screaming in a lot of ways is a good sign. It usually usually means it's a healthy gecko that's you know, um, you know, very defensive and just going about its its own natural way. That's the way they they do in the wild. And you know, if you if you have a gecko that's lethargic that doesn't even pay attention to you when you open the the tub, that's usually a bad sign. So All I right. wouldn't worry about it. It's still okay. young. It'll it'll grow out of it. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions, Joe? Uh, no, that was it. I was just kind of worried about it, but you guys seem to know a lot about it, so thank you. That was a lot of help. Yeah, okay, no it's, it's fine. Thanks. Don't worry about it. All right, cool. Yeah, thank calling, you, guys. Joe. You guys have a good night. Nice. You too, bud. Thanks for calling. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I've had a lot of geckos. Like, I've had some of them be really flighty and then just turn out really calm and sociable later, and then, uh, you know, vice versa. I mean, Again, except for Marsh's blizzards, we keep talking about those. Those are just bitchy constantly. So, you know, that's just well, where they that's are. That's what a lot of people. A lot of people always ask me, "Oh, your gecko's tame, or your gecko's well handled." And this is a bad misconception that you know. I don't know. There's a few people that think that if you handle your geckos a ton, that they're going to be super tame and best. You know, your best friend forever. And it really just. It honestly just comes down to genetics. You know, all this. Mm-hmm. All this that you. I mean, handling them is good, but, you know, it's going to – really your geckos don't like being handled. They just tolerate you handling them more and more as you go. So if you take them out, you know, this goes along with most reptiles. Most reptiles don't want to be picked up and handled. You know, no matter what you think or how, how nice you think your gecko is and how friendly it is, it's really just tolerating you handling it more. And it might get Pretty to much. a point where it's completely comfortable – and, you know, it acts normal when you're handling it, so you feel that it's, you know, it likes being handled. But <clears throat> really, really, the, the from everything that I've ever experienced with them, temperament's based on genetics, you know. Blizzards in general, not only marshes, but most blizzards in general, even some of the hets are just wild. You know, they're just, that's the way they are. Yeah. Blizzards are crazy. Um, some tangerine lines are wild. I've had, a, you know, a few tendering lines are they're pretty pretty nuts. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the bell albinos are very calm. The giants are usually very calm. Well, at least giant trimpers are very calm. Um, most of the I mean most of the stuff is fairly you know easy to handle. I would say the one if you're looking for a super tame gecko that's just going to sit in your hand and relax for hours. Um, only one I'd really probably not suggest is uh, a blizzard. You know. <laughs> Most ninety nine percent of the blizzards I've ever experienced or had any experience with, no matter what line they're from, are crazy. I think marshes are a little extra, but you know, they're. Uh, I've had I have a few marshes, and they're definitely they're definitely pretty nuts. But even even like the sunset that they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's if you're it's I don't endearing. sit there and want to. I handle some of mine, and I take them out every once in a while. There's there's geckos that are special to me. But you know, I don't look at them as my best friend or something. I I I let them. A lot of reptiles, they prefer to be not handled and all the time pulled out. So I mean, for me, it's I, I like to let them be a lot of times, and they do better. You know, especially like I, I breed Aki monitors, and a lot of people just want Aki monitors because they're a, more of a, a docile monitor species. But you know, they actually do better if you just leave them alone and let them do their thing. And they still are, yeah. you know, if you need to pick them out, if you need to take them out, that's fine. But I just like observing them and looking at them, you know. But it's different for yeah. everybody. I understand that. 
Let's go ahead and grab this uh, other call here. Caller from the 330 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. It's Brooke. Hey, who's this? Hi, hey, Brooke. How are Hi, you? Hi, Brooke. I'm doing good. What's your question um, tonight? My question. Oh, I know what it was now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I was looking up things about paradox spots. And I found some stuff on, like, the old forum posts, um, and everyone was saying they don't know if it's a confirmed genetic thing, like, it can be passed down. And I was wondering if uh, any of you guys have, like, a paradox project, and have you found out anything about it? Uh, I, I could say right off the bat that I know of a few breeders that can produce consistent paradox spots from their geckos from certain lines. I think it's... You know, very from my experience, I think it's not every line, not every gecko with a paradox will pass it on, but some of them do, and I have some here that do, and um, I'm hoping this one I just got does. But yeah, what do you think, John? Um, I I think it it can vary. You know, I, uh, everything that I've ever tested out that was paradox never proved out anything. Um, you get them from the white and yellows. So they're, they're, yeah, I mean. Uh, the 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 white and yellows have them, you know, which is genetic. Um, mm-hmm. But I I never yeah. I never produced anything consistently from them that I've ever tested. So you know, most most paradox spot or paradoxing in general in the reptile world is is something that's just kind of a fluke. You know, um, it's just one of those things that happens once and never you never see it again with the animal. You know, that goes for snakes and all the other stuff too. But they're 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 always everybody tries to test them out and you know hopefully you know hopefully one of these paradoxes you know whether it's one of these ones that we think is kind of like a pied or whatever with the leopard geckos is that actually proves out would be awesome. Um, there's some of the like the more extreme paradoxing seems to be typically associated with the Max Snow gene, um, but for for the most part I don't. I don't think most of them are ever going to prove out. It's going to take a lot of work. I mean, Matt Matt's obsessed with it, so I'll let him I'll let him try to prove them all out. But um, for me, I, I just don't. Most of them don't prove out, so I don't really worry about it too much. Um, you know, but it could. I mean, definitely anything anything that pops out visually, you know, you should test out and see if it's genetic and breed it back to the the daughters and um, see if there's something there. You know, you never know. It could be could be something bigger you would never expect. Yeah. And also, uh, while we got Brooke on the line, just want to let everybody know that Brooke is the one that has done uh, my logo and the logo for the show. And uh, Brooke is very talented um, with graphic design. So if you guys want to – well, Brooke, why don't you give out your information so people can find you if they ever need any kind of you know, work done. You've done pretty much a lot of the people in the reptile community now as far as their logos go. So uh, get yourself a quick plug. Well, um, thank you, Dave. <laughs> of course. Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook. I have a graphic arts gallery there. Um, it's under Residual Arts Commissions. And you can find a you know wide variety of my work there. Or you can just find my uh, personal Facebook. Uh, I believe it's Residual Haunt or Brooke Pulowski. Whatever you want. Search it. You'll find me. <laughs> Yep, yep, and if you have trouble finding her, just uh, PM me and I'll hook you up with her. Awesome. Any other questions, Brooke? Nope, that's it. Cool. All right, thanks for calling in. 
Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, she did a really uh, she did a really cool one for, she's good, for Ghoulish yeah. Geckos recently. Oh yeah. Like that, that was nice, nice. yeah. Awesome. Really uh, good. That was, uh, like she's getting better and better at the the gecko uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> Teams. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know what? We got a, we've got about eight minutes left in the show, and uh, I wanted to touch a little bit about on some of some of your interesting husbandry methods, John. And uh, for people that don't know, John's pretty much introduced uh, all of us to the uh, the method of using a uh, steamer to you know help just to disinfect our uh, our tubs and stuff. And a lot of us are using that method now. Um, as far as you know, with my mealworm allergy and stuff, I've incorporated some of his methods to, you know, just changing my husbandry a little bit. That's helped me tremendously. Um, just breathe better and everything. But, um, John, if you want to share a couple of your little tricks with us, you know, before we uh, end the show, that'd be cool. Anything you'd like to share? Uh, sure. Yeah, I I, I kind of took leopard geckos. I, I've kept all kinds of reptiles in the past, and I kind of took leopard geckos on a new... I kind of thought about it different and tried to do my own thing. And I've always listened, you know, I think a big thing in husbandry, no matter what you're you're working with, is you always got to listen to the animals. And just because you read a care sheet, that can be a guideline to what you do, but it's not necessarily what's going to work perfect for you. So, you know, there's a lot of different temperatures that we, you know, your house might be 60 degrees or some houses are up to 80 degrees, you know, depending on the time of year. And the humidity levels are different, and there's all types of things that can be variables. Um, as far as what I do specifically on husbandry, uh, one thing I I like to do is I like to keep things easier for me as far as, like, I don't want to be in, in there. Leopard geckos are one of the easiest species to work with by far. Um, a lot of species need misting every day, and even, even leopard geckos could use it every day, but... If you if you take care of them in the right way, you can actually cut that down quite a bit. So I like using – I house a lot of my leopard geckos individually, and I don't like using the 15-quart tubs that a lot of people do. I actually um, I actually bumped up the size of my tub to a larger height and width and diameter. So I actually use a, a, a much bigger tub for all my single females. And um, any ge- geckos I keep – by themselves, I don't. I use, most for the most part, I don't keep them in 15 quarts. I try to keep them in a larger tub, and this in turn um, lets me keep a larger moist hide in there. And I'm a very strong believer in using a moist hide. Um, a moist hide really can save you a lot of work and keep you know your maintenance down. Um, it also creates an area for the gecko that you know is pretty much perfect for the gecko at all times. They can always choose to sit inside the moist hide or they can sit outside. Um, for those that don't know, a moist hide is basically anything that you, like a container that you, you create a hole on and you put some type of substrate. Um, I've, you know, people have used peat moss, uh, moist paper towels, uh, but the most common and what I use as well is cocoa fiber inside the moist hide. And this, this creates, uh, you can, you can fill it up with water. Basically you put the cocoa fiber in there and you make it very moist. And it creates like this humidity area for the geckos. Like this, it's a it's a place for the geckos to go where they always can get the right humidity. And even more important is actually the condensation that builds up inside the the moist sides, which the geckos can lick. Um, I haven't used water bo- or water. Um, uh, what am I thinking? Uh, water dishes for a really long time now. 
and um, I pretty much have just utilized the moist hides themselves. So actually the condensation inside the moist hides is what uh, my, my geckos get hydration from. So I think that, that's that been the main key. Um, I think the things that Dave is talking about more is I use a, uh, actually a, a hose with a sprayer inside my gecko room at all times. And I, I know most people probably can't have like a hose running into their house or into their 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 bedroom or whatever, but um, keeping geckos on a larger scale, um, I actually use a hose and I blast out the tubs. Every time I clean the tubs, I blast them out, and it really helps to clean out the tub very well. And um, yeah, I basically it basically makes it the maintenance a lot easier. So I blast it out into a trash can. Um, and then also uh, with a steam cleaner, I started using that like I think about a year ago or so. Um, but I started using a steam cleaner. I just wanted a really easy, um, safe way to you know disinfect the the tubs. It's something that will kill everything, including crypto. Um, you know, crypto is one of those things that's always haunted most people in in the leopard gecko community, and it's one of those things that can't be killed by most. Um, standard chemical disinfectants you know even if you even if you soak uh your your tubs in bleach or if you soak them in um some of the ammonium products or you soak them in uh i think the only thing that's been proven to kill crypto on a uh, a normal or on a consistent basis is six percent hydrogen peroxide that's soaked for 20 minutes in your tub and that's just not practical practical for anybody so I started using steam cleaners, and I use that in conjunction with uh, if I if I ever see something I don't like or something like quarantined animals or anything like that. I also use a UV um, sterilizer, which will kill crypto right away. They they actually use these for sterilizing water in uh, uh, water plants and other situations where they need to kill um, cryptosporidium. So. Um, the steam cleaner works very well. If you have a, like a, one of the cheaper ones, like the lower lower powered ones, you make sure you blast whatever you're trying to disinfect very very well and for a, a longer period of time. Um, steam cleaners come in a, a range of of temperatures and and PSIs. So some of them, if they if they're if the temperature coming out of the tip of the of the steamer is under 200 degrees, you really want to be blasting that very well to make sure you clean everything. Um, the one I'm using now, this is my second steam cleaner, I, it comes out at about 280 degrees. So anything that's alive is going to be dead the second it, it touches that steamer. So um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, if, I, if I'm blasting the whole tub and the, the moist side and everything, it, it's about as effective as an autoclave, you know, on these, uh, these setups. So that in conjunction with the, the UV sterilizer, that really works well. And I... Um, only other thing too is probably when I'm, I'm cleaning out the tubs, I spray the whole tub, I blast it out with a hose, and I just leave the moisture in there, and I let them lick up the, the extra, excess water droplets. So I'll, I'll throw a paper towel on top of the on top of the the water, or I basically spray out the tub, let it drain out a little bit, and then I put a paper towel on top, and that's it. it makes it as simple as it can be to clean out a tub, but it also gives them a lot of humidity um, and a lot of moisture that they 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 need at that time. But um, some of these things, in, in combination, I use larger little feeder dishes that I keep. I can keep my dubia alive in these feeder dishes for for up to 30 days, 35 days now, as feeders. So 
I mean, some of my maintenance, like during the off season, I don't maintain a lot of my animals for every 30 to 40 days, but I'm not. And, and again, I, I reiterate this is that don't, I'm not saying to do this. I'm just saying if, if you can figure out things to do things more efficiently, that's, that's the way to go. It's just, I've figured out how to maintain my animals very efficiently and in a way that keeps them, you know, good for a very long period of time. Um, breeding season, I have to maintain them a lot more often than that. But, um, during the, the time of year when they don't need it, I just, I, I really have cut down my work and it's kind of a key when you're keeping a very large collection and making sure that you're, you're keeping up on all animals. And I very, very rarely ever have a stuck toe shed. I very rarely have any issues. Um, if it's, if there are any issues, it's usually something to do with the animal besides, you know, not my husbandry. So, yep. That's yeah. about it. It's not everything, but that's kind of the gist of the basics, so. though. Right. I mean, I've added the steam cleaning to my regimen. I, I, I'm kind of, like, really obsessive about it, too. Like, I, first thing I do is I scrub my, t- I, I spray them down, spray them outside usually with the hose. Then I scrub them with uh, antibacterial dish soap. Then I spray them down with straight ammonia, let them sit overnight. Then I wash them again. Then I steam them, and then they're good enough <laughs> for me. <laughs> and then, then I feel good, and I can use them. I, I sleep well about it. But, uh, you know, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a good thing to add to your, you know, rather than a lot of people do the once-a-year cleaning, but it's a good thing to do this on a regular basis. Like, if you're if you're going through yeah. and, you know, your gecko poops in its food dish, for instance, I steam, I steam that out and clean it every time that they do that. And, you know, a lot of people use water dishes, again, like I was saying, and, uh, the problem with water dishes is if you don't keep up on them really very often or you don't have them, like, I only recommend if you're going to use a water dish to so use a very shallow one, like a bottle cap or something very, very shallow, something that's going to dry up within, like, two or three days. Because if you let it sit for too long, that thing's going to be either a dead roach is going to crawl in there or a roach is going to crawl in there and die and or something or the bacteria is going to build up in there. And over time, that really... You know, I feel like that could, you know, cause some some issues for your geckos. So, if you're gonna, if you still want to use water dish, that's fine. Just make sure it's very, very clean. And the other thing is, make it sure that it's shallow, so that it, if it, you know, if you go a couple of days, it'll dry out and not, you know, breed any bacteria in there. Yep. Yeah, that's the way to go. I use the uh, escape-free f- uh, feed balls, the small ones, as water dishes, and I just put a. Yeah, a little bit in there. With every every time I feed, I just throw, I squirt a little water in there. I don't overdo it, and it always evaporates. And uh, you know, my geckos seem to like that, and you know, it works for me. Um, yeah, well, most geckos will utilize it though. But you know, I found that all of the geckos will utilize the condensation, which is really what they naturally drink in the wild too. You know, if you think right. about it, what they they drink the dew that comes off the leaves and stuff, and um, that's that's their natural way of drinking stuff. You know, they're not drinking so much from like pools or or puddles of stuff. You know, they're they're pretty much drinking from the leaves and stuff from condensation, like in the early morning. So they get a lot of their moisture from their food as well. It, right. it, it all varies between gecko species, but leopard geckos are more of an arid species, so they've learned to adapt that way. And that's just, just providing you know what they what they are, are used to in the wild what works best for them. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, you know, guys, I, I think it was a great show tonight. We got a lot done, and um, I think we can definitely 
do more Q&A type episodes in the future. I think these are working out really well. Uh, maybe we can make a, a standard one once a month where we invite some people on for questions and answers. There's so many, you know, things that keep coming up and different topics that people, you know, need answers to. So if we can help you out, we're going to do it. Um, I want to thank uh, my co-host tonight, Mr. Daryl Burton. Thank you, Daryl, for joining yeah. me. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I don't know how much help I was. I have more questions than answers, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was good. It felt good to, to know I had backup here anyway. And I'd like to I'd like to get more co-hosting going on the show. Um, it's nice when there's you know two people to chime in. So, you know, I'm definitely going to try to get more people to to you know co-host every once in a while. If you want to come on more often, you know, we can talk about that if you feel comfortable, Daryl. It's up to you though. Oh yeah, you know I hate talking about gecko, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we could talk for hours. Jeez, I don't know, there. We could talk exactly. for like three, four in the morning. Jeez. Um, yeah, John too. John and I, you know, John's another gecko guy. We can talk geckos, man. But it's yeah, good. I, I, I start to ramble. I got to cut myself off sometimes. <laughs> well, I don't know about rambling. You, you, everything I've ever, all the conversations I had have been, you know, you know, you're, you, you know what you're talking about. That's for sure. So, yeah, you, you know, get a lot of information when you talk to John. That's true. And oh, yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, well, exactly. But, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's fun, though. But, all right. Well, I'm not going to ramble myself here. Um, I want to <laughs> thank everybody that, that uh, called in tonight. That was great. Everybody that participated. I love it when people call in, have the courage. Um, now you're going to be forever in Gecko Nation history on the air, immortalized. But, um, hey, John, why don't you go ahead and give out your information so people can find you uh, out there on the on the Internet? Um, well, you can just search uh, Gecko Boa, just one word. Um, I'm sure you'll, it'll pop up my website or my, uh, my Facebook. Um, Facebook's Gecko Boa Reptiles. My website is www.geckoboa.com. Um, and that's, yeah. My my website's pretty much updated all the time, so you can always see what's available if you're looking to buy something. Um, some and on videos YouTube, on right? you, YouTube. Yeah, there's yeah. a few videos on YouTube, and I'm trying to get more up. I've about three in the last couple months, so I'm trying to get that going again. Nice, but, nice. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much for joining me tonight, John. I appreciate it. Sure, no problem, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, John. All right, talk to you. Thank talk you, to you soon. All right. All right, Daryl, I'm going to let you go, and, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll definitely do it again sometime. Sounds great, and I enjoyed it, and uh, let's do it. All right, cool. Have a good night, bud. Thank you, sir. All right, everybody, uh, great show. I'm going to go ahead and play the outro, and I'll come back with my closing remarks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the Herb community 
with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. All right, folks, awesome show tonight. And uh, my closing remarks are this. When you're, when you're out there um, online and you're like, you're basically have a, has a, you, know, you have a presence, you have like a, uh, I guess a following, so to speak, whether it's Facebook or this radio show, for example, you start noticing patterns and trends with, with, um, with your followers. And now that the Gecko Nation radio show has gone pretty much global and people are all over the world are listening to us, um, it's, it's just a fascinating thing. And I, I, as I st- see it steadily growing, I do see people, you know, new people coming in. I see, you know, people that have been here from the beginning, like really loyal, still listening. And, you know, that's, that to me means so much. And I just want you guys to know that, like the real loyal listeners and the loyal fans, and of course the new people as well. I want you guys to really understand that I, it, it really means the world to me that you guys like what we're doing and that you're supporting the show. And if you are uh, a fan of the show and you like what we're doing, help us uh, on Facebook because it's tough promoting on Facebook these days. So help us share the posts uh, from Gecko Nation Radio from the Facebook page, share the show links so we can uh, reach more people that could benefit from the show. And I think uh, everybody that called in tonight got something from it. And in the future, I know there's more people out there that are going to want to benefit from that too. So we're going to do more of these types of shows for you guys. Um, well, before I, I'm going to play a cool song at the end, but before I do, I just want to thank our sponsors, Dale's Bearded Dragons. Check out Dale's Bearded Dragons at uh, dalesbeardeddragons.com. Any kind of reptile supply you need, mention Gecko Nation Radio. They're going to take care of you. If you go to any of the Northeast shows and expos, they're there. Mention us there too. All right. abdragons.com, Tuvia, FlexSlot, they got you covered. Gecko at checkout. That's your word. Get 5% off. abdragons.com. Geckoboa.com. You just heard from John. Awesome geckos. Check them out. Um, of course, supremegecko.com. Wally, you like Cresties? You like micro geckos, day geckos? He's your man. Ohio Gecko, Fad, also does geckoforums.net. Check out what Fad's got some nice tangerines, nice fat tails, uh, snows, all kinds of cool stuff. Rainbow Mealworms.net, biggest worm farm in the world, is giving 30% off for the rest of the month to our listeners. Check out, use their, their, the code Gecko Nation at checkout. All right, folks, it's good for two orders. Uh, let's see, Reptiles Express, of course. Uh, they're coming on Tuesday, by the way. The folks from Reptiles Express are doing a special Tuesday show for you guys. You guys want to learn about the shipping process, you know, find out what it's all about, how to actually do it. We're going to have Debbie on. We're going to have Mike, the owner, on, and we're going to talk about it. Excellent shipping company, the best there is, best rates, best customer service, the only one I'll ever use. All right. Uh, they're also giving you guys a code. It's called Gecko Nation 10. It's going to give you 10% off any order of $45 or more. It's good for two orders. 
All right. Uh, Ron Tremper, the great Ron Tremper, just got married. Congratulations, Ron. It's good seeing pictures of him, him and Helene Happy on Facebook. And um, Ron Tremper's been such a significant contributor to the world of leopard geckos and reptiles in general. Um, we wouldn't be where we are without his influence. So check out leopardgecko.com for some of the most amazing leopard geckos on the planet right now, especially his bandits and, oh, geez, his giants, everything. It's just incredible. So thank you, Ron. Uh, GiantLeopardGecko.com. Keith Kagan is working on some amazing stuff. Lots of giants. You like giant-sized leopard geckos? Check out Keith's uh, work. He's also into fat tails and crusties, too. So GiantLeopardGecko.com. All right. And, of course, last but not least, MS2 Chow. Uh, Check out Marcy Sowers, MS2 Premium Chow. Uh, MS2.ENT at Weebly.com. All right, folks. And... If you're on Facebook, you have to join my group. Quickly becoming just an amazing group, 2,100 and more members, uh, very helpful, family-friendly, positive atmosphere. It's just it's like an extended family at this point. Everybody is so cool in this group. Uh, it's called Gecko Nation, folks. Apply for membership today. We just added a new group called Gecko Nation Marketplace. We're going to transfer the same core values into the marketplace, and we're going to try to make it the safest, most friendliest place on Facebook for you guys to buy and sell your geckos and your reptiles, all right? And it's going to, it's going to be up to you guys to make it happen. You guys made it happen with Gecko Nation. Let's make it happen with Gecko Nation Marketplace. All right, folks, and uh, I think that's it for tonight. For tonight um, and I'll see you guys Tuesday, and here's a cool song to bring us out. Thanks again, everyone. <laughs>